0: Welcome to the University of Wyoming Today. On this program, you'll hear about what's making the news and about the people and events at UW. You'll also learn about some of the leading research that's taking place at one of the region's top universities. And now, here's today's edition of the University of Wyoming Today.
1: Hi, Jim Kearns with you. Today we'll be hearing about the subject of the new film, Trumbo, and an expert will be explaining where the names on old maps came from. We'll also learn a little bit about organic agriculture and about the formation of sediment in high mountain streams. But first, there's a new film about the controversial Dalton Trumbo. Remember, he was the screenwriter and a celebrated member of the Hollywood Ten who were blacklisted by Hollywood during the communist witch hunts of the 1940s and early 1950s. Trumbo had to write screenplays that were credited to others, including the Academy Award-winning Roman Holiday and The Brave One. Modern and Classical Languages professor Laura Deloge is teaching a course next semester that, among other things, tells how Trumbo's experience in the Kirk Douglas film Spartacus Mark the end of that notorious blacklist.
2: His productivity and the quality of the work helped Kirk Douglas to realize that Sam Jackson was probably someone else and too early in the process realize and find out that it was Dalton Trumbull who was working for him. And then Kirk Douglas had to make a decision when they came time to release the picture because there were questions, questions, from studio executives and members of the cast and crew over time were discovering who the real writer was or the name, the real name of the writer for the screenplay for Spartacus. And Kirk Douglas writes in his memoir I Am Spartacus uh, about making this film and then making the decision on how to credit the screenwriter that this decision could affect the distribution of the film, it could affect the rest of his career, So the decision was to have Dalton Trumbo's name and they were beaten a little bit to the punch because as they were making this decision uh, Otto Preminger made the announcement that the real person who had been writing the screenplay for Exodus was Dalton Trumbo and not as Sam Jackson but as Dalton Trumbo and that is usually credited as being the official end of the blacklist. And in February of 1961, the newly elected John Kennedy went to see the film. There was a small group of protesters outside the cinema where he went in Washington, D.C. And by crossing over uh, their, their picket line, that is also considered to mark the final end of the blacklist. He
1: once wrote a scathing anti-war book called Johnny Got His Gun. And with the release of Spartacus, Dalton Trumbull finally got his due. When I visited the American Heritage Center recently to look at a map drawn up in the 1800s, I wondered, where did all the names of rivers, mountains, and other features on these old maps come from? University of Wyoming Geography Professor Emeritus John Allen is an expert on the mapping of the American West, and he says the names that appeared on those old maps could be Confusing as
3: the states west of the Mississippi River began to be added to the Union and as they began to fill up with people, folks needed to know what places were called, what rivers were called, what mountains were called. What should they name their town? How should they name their town? Should they pick the name of a founder? Should they pick an Indian name? And this really continued in a confusing state until 1890 when there was created an entity called the U.S. Board of Geographical Names. And that still exists. Uh, It's now under the U.S. Geological Survey, which is part of of the Department of the Interior. And once the U.S. Board of Geographical Names is this the official name, then that becomes the official name. In the 20th century in particular, the naming of places has tended to be as much a function of local and state politics as anything
1: else. And geography professor John Allen says the American Indians believe that when you name a place, it gives you power over it.
3: Modern European Americans like ourselves have said, well, that's, that's kind of superstitious nonsense. Well, it isn't at all. Naming a place gives power over that place. Whether you're a Crow Indian naming the Bighorn River, or whether you're a 21st century American giving a new name to a place. And we're beginning to see that political conflict now more and more. You want to change the name of Devil's Tower to something else. You, know? um, you want to change the name of this mountain range to something else to reflect com- some kind of, of political authority or in many cases political correctness, and changing the name in the interest of diversity or, or what have you. So all of these kinds of things that we used to think of as being, well, okay, this is, just, this is just American Indian superstition, really isn't true at all. For thousands of years, people have consciously or subconsciously tried to gain control of place by giving that place a name that meant something to them. Americans have done the same thing, you know, and, and almost any group does the
1: same thing. And a lot of what we see on the maps today can be traced back to how the early fur traders interpreted what they thought the Indians were telling them. Walk into any supermarket and you'll see produce being advertised as organic this or organic that. We think we know what it means, but are students being taught to become skilled in organic agriculture? University of Wyoming plant scientist Rinda Jabor received a $230,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to develop a college curriculum in organic agriculture that can be used anywhere in the United States.
0: Since we see organic products in the supermarket all the time. I think most people have heard of organic farming and um, a lot of our students here at the university, farmers in Wyoming, we all have different ideas of what we think organic means. And so I found that um, students and farmers alike are really curious to learn more about what it actually means to be an organic farmer and how the different types of tools that those farmers use to solve their problems. And it's definitely been an increasing part of the the marketplace uh, and an increasing opportunity for farmers to diversify their markets. So uh, I really wanted to do this project to have a science-based curriculum that also provides perspectives from farmers so that students can learn learn about it with those really important dimensions included. And I'm working with a team of instructors from around the country because this is something that's of interest to people throughout the United States. So we're going to build a curriculum that is helpful no matter where you are to learn these basic principles, but also how farmers implement it in different parts of the country with different climates and soils and things like that.
1: Professor Jabour is working with experts to put together a curriculum that provides high quality science based information that can be used by organic agriculture instructors anywhere in the country. <music> University of Wyoming researchers have discovered new information about the influence of sediment in shaping high mountain landscapes. Geology doctoral student Claire Lukens has been studying sediment in California's High Sierra. She says variations in sediment size can affect the weathering rates of the landscapes.
0: Sediment from higher elevations in the landscape is coarser, so it's larger in sizes. And then the sediment that's coming from lower in the landscape is generally smaller, finer sediment. So we can actually tie how fast the river is incising and therefore how fast the landscape is changing to some of these other processes that produce different sizes of sediment.
1: These findings were published last week in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, one of the nation's most prestigious scientific journals. Finally, you've probably heard that tuition at the University of Wyoming will be going up by 4% starting next fall. That comes to about $75 more each semester for Wyoming students, and about $285 a semester for non-residents. But even with those increases, the university's tuition for resident undergraduates will remain the lowest among all of the nation's public doctoral degree-granting institutions. I'm Jim Kearns, and that's it for my time. Thanks for yours.
0: That's it for this time. Join us again for the next edition of the University of Wyoming Today.